You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Come one, come all to episode 54 of the Pimp Crime Warhammer Podcast. That's right. You're here. I'm here. Let's do this. Get all greased up. I'm going to grab the raw chicken. Don't know what we're doing. I Sometimes I like to just start sentences and I don't know where they're going to end. <laughs> so, Kind of like a road trip with my senile grandfather. Uh, so let's get into this. What are we talking about tonight here, people? Well, first of all, I have one of the craziest storylines in all of 40k as a real talk for tonight. It's just bonkers, and uh, it involves the Illuminati, believe it or not. I'm not even joking about that. And I also have a tender and loving Tesseract mailbox message from our old pal, McStorman. And when our summers both slow down, I will gladly have McStorman on sometime again. But he left me a wonderful birthday message, and I wanted to share that because, well, friendship is weird sometimes. And I also have a want that or want that not, Kings of War by Mantic, which of course they're getting ready to have edition, uh, the third edition come out this fall. And that game came out originally like in 2010, but... Uh, I've never really looked too hard at it, but recently I've realized that the uh, new Apocalypse rules are somewhat similar to it, and, um, I mean, different, but similar in theme, and I'm really wanting to start trying some Kings of War now, so what have I been up to in my recent life? Well, what I've been up to is I played a game of Age of Sigmar with my new Caradron Overlords this week with my friend Ash. Um, Ash is a real asshole. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great guy. And um, we had a really good game with his spooky boy, Night Haunt, versus my um, fat dwarves. And it was a really good game. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I just rolled really well for the objective. What is it? You raise the objective in their, the opponent's thing for D3 victory points. Or, you know, you get one victory point for your own objective each turn. That's the thing we were playing. And uh, he rolled three for raising one of my objectives, and I rolled three and three points each for his. It ended up coming down to the end of the game. It was nine to 13, and he could have raised my objective, but he didn't even try because even if he rolled a three, I would still win 13 to 12. So it was a very close game, and I barely, I mean, we, we both nearly tabled each other. It was a really good game. But uh, those Caradron Overlords, man, they're they're pretty darn good. They're very synergistic, pretty buffable. Um, I, so far, I'm kind of feeling like they're the easy button, which is kind of deterring me from playing them. But um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and take some. Yeah, the problem with Caradron and a lot of the newer armies is that they don't have all the unit options that older armies have. So Caradron has like what eight units, like total, including the ships. It's it's really not that much. So when I try to play like a fluffy you know list or or just a fun list you really don't have much lateral movement to go and most of their stuff is pretty good but anyway so far I'm feeling like they're easy button let me try them a couple more games and um if I can find some challenge in them then I'll enjoy keep playing them but right now they're a little a little easy so I've played three games with them and I've won all three so far and 
Uh, what else have I been up to? Um, just James beat me in APOC this afternoon. We just played a game of Apocalypse, and uh, he brought the Taunar, which, gosh, I love that model. The Taunar is a giant-ass Riptide. It's like the mother of the Riptide. And, um, like, it, she, yeah, she passes Riptides like kidney stones. Like, this is a massive, like, 18-inch tall Riptide model. And it's called the Taunar. And it is beastly. And I was able to wipe out nearly all of his army with my Chaos Demons, except for that stupid Taunar, and he ended up tabling me. And it was such, such a good game. Really enjoyed it. So that's basically all I've been up to. Painted some Caradron Overlords, been working on the novel, all that nonsense. But that is about it. So let's get on with the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this edition of the Tesseract mailbox, I get a special voicemail from a dear friend. You know, McStorman and I have known each other for, man, how long has it been? 96. I met him in 96. So that was 23 years ago. And we were just wee children back then, but we've known each other for 23 years. And coincidentally, that's the same time I met Just James. So I've known both of them for most of my life. And, you know, it was my birthday recently. I didn't mention that, I don't think, on the show because I'm like super, super shy and I'm trying to humble. There you go. Humble's the word I was thinking of. Super humble. And uh, I was blessed by a voicemail from my dear friend Danny. Let's hear what he had to say. He's such a great guy. I really like him. Hey, asshat. When I call you, you answer. This is bullshit. You answer the phone when I call you. You don't ignore my call. (laughs) Happy birthday. Hope you have a shitty day, because it's your birthday. Yeah, I said that. Hope your day's like shit. Oh, oh, somebody pooped in your pool. That would be hysterical. All right, man, see you later. Bye. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that is what friends are for, isn't it? Uh, what I would, What I would do without... McStorman. So, um, I just wanted to share that. I thought it was funny. And, um, you know, I was, I was busy or whatever when he called and he left me that voicemail and I really like it. He's like, happy birthday. I hope it's a shitty day. (laughs) And that is what adult male friendship often comes to. Want that or want that not? Well, on this edition of Want That or Want That Not, we're doing something just a little bit different. We are actually going to be looking at a game that has been out since 2010. So this is not something new, but it is something that probably all of you have heard of, but you have not uh, played possibly or seen played or whatever because it's uh, not quite as on the scale as uh, Games Workshop, but it is from their top nemesis, Mantic Games. So what exactly am I talking about? I am talking about Kings of War, and I uh, decided to... Let's take a look at Kings of War. You know, I've heard about it for so long, and uh, I've never played it, but I've actually bought their miniatures before, because um, 
they've got a lot of analogous units to Tomb Kings and other things. Um, I mean, in fact, I've bought a bunch of Mantic things for my Space Wolf squat army and things like that as well. That entire army is Mantic things. So, I could go into the fluff of this game. I'm not going to. I could go into the history of how it was all, you know, originally made and developed by Alessio Cavatore, um, who made 40k, he made Mordheim, he made um, several other games. But that's not really what I'm here to do. I was really interested to see exactly how this game plays. Because, you know, I used to, back in, you know, back in 8th edition Warhammer Fantasy and back in 5th, 6th, and 7th edition Warhammer 40k, um, I really liked the, the granularity of everything. I loved how everything was 1 point or 5 points or 10 points or whatever, and you really had to pay for every little thing and everything was very, very granular and the rules were very granular and the, you know, everything was so complex. But honestly, as 8th edition 40K has come out and as Age of Sigmar has came out and uh, Just James and I just finished up a game of Apocalypse just, uh, just an hour or so ago and... As we're starting to play these games that are more streamlined and easier to play and faster paced, I'm actually starting to warm up to the idea of Kings of War because Kings of War has always prided itself on being very much like Warhammer Fantasy Battles and the fact that all of your units are in blocks. You know, you have like these movement trays with models on them and things like that. And you've got the big monsters and the spells and cavalry and all those things because it is medieval fantasy based and they have elves and dwarves and undead and all of that but the more i look at these rules the more i'm really in, tempted to play it because i always really like the granularity of all the past editions but now that i'm getting used to all this more streamlined easier to play stuff i don't know if i'm getting lazy or i'm getting spoiled or i'm just realizing that the granularity was not necessary why can't you still have a neat strategic game with customization and whatnot in an hour and a half versus four hours like the older editions of Warhammer? So back in 2010, when Mantic Games uh, created Kings of War, basically, um, whether they admit it or not, it is very much like Warhammer Fantasy Battles 8th Edition, with several key exceptions that make it, in my opinion, much better than that. Now, this is not Age of Sigmar. Age of Sigmar has moved Warhammer Fantasy more to the skirmish style, you know, where you're not in rank and file, you're not in blocks or anything like that. But the more models you get on the field that you have to move, the longer the game takes. Whereas, um, even now, I use movement trays for a lot of my armies in Age of Sigmar because um, most of my armies are still square-based anyway, like my Empire and things like that, So, and all of my Undead. So I just leave them on movement trays, and instead of moving, you know, 30 models, I just literally push the tray. Done. You know, it only takes five seconds. So what Kings of War is, getting back to the point, is that Kings of War has everybody, all of your units in movement trays, but unlike Warhammer Fantasy, where you had to, you know, oh, I take three unsaved wounds, okay, I take off three models, you don't do that in Kings of War. If you brought a block of 20 guys 
it is kind of blended the idea of wounds and morale and all of that into one uh, stat called nerve. And that's basically like their battle shock slash their number of wounds slash whatever. And uh, so basically you can, um, you don't pull off individual models. Your unit retains roughly the same, you know, strength and capability until it eventually breaks and it flees. And um, you still have a moving movement phase, a shooting phase, a melee phase and all of that. But whenever a unit takes hits, they accumulate quote-unquote damage, and you don't remove any models. If you inflict the damage on one of your enemy's units with shooting or melee, you can attempt to route it at the end of the phase. And uh, that's done by rolling 2d6 and adding the result of the total damage accumulated so far, and then comparing the total to the unit's nerve value. And they have two, two uh, different nerve stats, like let's say 14 slash 16. And if the total equals or beats the first value of 14, the unit wavers and it misses its next turn. If you actually equal or beat the second value, the entire unit is removed from the table. Now, the reason why this is really interesting to me is because they can play large-scale games of Kings of War in 90 minutes. That is insane. I can't even play Age of Sigmar in 90 minutes. And, um, you know, they've made rules for all of the old Warhammer Fantasy Battle armies that have been squatted, like Tomb Kings, Bretonia, and all that. They've got all rules for those. They've got their own armies. Um, it's pretty interesting. So the more I read about this, you know, um, we've been playing Apocalypse recently in 40k, and I'm really digging the streamlined, simplistic, you know, Apocalypse rules that bring a three or four thousand point game down to two and a half hours. Well, I'm looking at the rules for this Mantic stuff, and I'm like, oh, well, shit, that's the same thing. They've been doing this for 10 years now, and I'm just now coming around to it. And the cool thing about Mantic is that uh, my understanding is a lot of the guys came from Games Workshop, and at the time, 10 years ago, you know, or more, they didn't like how Games Workshop was doing things, and they decided to make a uh, company that was completely different. The first thing you'll notice when you look at Mantic stuff is that Mantic stuff ha is a completely different price range than GW stuff. And I'm not crapping on GW, but we all know it's a premium product. Mantic doesn't quite have the same detail level as GW, but they're like half the cost. And, you know, if you've got 90% the same detail or 80% the same detail with 50% the cost, well, you know what? I'm willing to overlook some stuff. Now, their newer models are getting better and better and better as they, you know, uh, as they refine their mold making process. But some of their older models, you know, are, are a little bit lacking. But the neat thing is that Kings of War has a reward system. Uh, I know that you get Mantic points where you can spend those in their store. Uh, that's similar to, I believe it was called the Skulls program back GW used to have in the 90s and early 2000s. Where you would get like, you know, oh, I bought a Land Raider, that's three Skull tokens or whatever. And you could get free things sent away for it. Uh, Mantic does that. And um, I've taken advantage of that because, like I said, I have an entire army of Mantic stuff in my Space Wolf Squat army. Because I use their Forge Father models. And also, Kings of War, you know, they have a, a whole tournament circuit and things like that. Um, and it is a well-known game. But the neat thing is, is that they are not dicks about you using third-party models. Now, unlike certain companies, which will go unnamed, wink, 
they have no issue at all with you not buying their models and just buying some third-party models or even using GW models in their tournaments and their official battles and things like that. And because you don't remove the models from the trays, each unit is encouraged to actually be assembled as a diorama. All of your models are stationary on it, or they can be stationary. So a lot of people will make dioramas of different units and tell a story on their little plaque. And, you know, one thing I'm kind of iffy on, but I'd have to actually see it in person, is that you don't actually have to put the exact number of models on the tray because they want you to leave room for um, uh, dioramas if you feel like it. So... I'm kind of iffy on that because I like to see if it's a 20-man unit, it's a 20-man unit. But if I was more familiar with the game, then it probably wouldn't bother me. So what I'm saying is, if you enjoyed Warhammer Fantasy back in the day and you miss it, you have rules for every single army that you had in Warhammer Fantasy plus like 11 more armies that you didn't have. And the game is very fast-paced and it's very streamlined, and everything I read about it, it has good reviews. Everybody likes it. The models are cheaper. Um, you can use models from, you know, if you already have a Tomb King's army, they're not going to be dicks and make you buy their Tomb King's, you know, esque army. So, I, um, is this a want that or want that not for me? It is absolutely a want that. Actually, like I said, I find it very reminiscent of the Apocalypse rules that I have started to like so much in 40k. And uh, I'm going to, you know, Just James has been making me play Apocalypse a lot lately. And I think that I might just try to wrangle him into some Kings of War. Kings of War 3rd Edition, I think, is coming out this fall. And um, I won't bother with buying the rulebook right now because I'll wait for 3rd Edition. But I very well may look at Kings of War 3rd Edition. And see what I can do with that. Because um, there's a lot that really appeals to me about that. And I don't even have to buy any models. So I can just use my regular stuff. Anyway, um, thanks for listening. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Hey everybody, it is Real Talk with the Pentcron. And today I wanted to bring up a crazy ass story from the... History of Warhammer 40k, and there is some speculation whether or not this storyline is still active, whether or not, you know, it's still official canon, or if they've gotten rid of it, or whatnot. So, I just wanted to cover this with you. It is involving the Illuminati, and yes, you heard that right. Not the secret cabal of alleged, mm, we'll say, rich people and powerful people on Earth, but, well... Okay, actually, it partially involves that, but I'm talking about, you know, everybody's heard of the Illuminati um, as far as, you know, the pyramid in the eye and all of that, and some people believe it, some people don't, whatever. But the point is, is that back in the late 80s, in the Slaves of Darkness or Slaves to Darkness supplement in Rogue Trader, they discuss all about this. Now, so this is the 1980s, this is well before the internet, this is, you know, pre- uh, YouTube surfing and finding the whole Illuminati connections nowadays. So I just want to point that out. This is long, long, long ago. But we might as well start digging into this because this is a long and convoluted story, but hopefully you'll enjoy it. So what is the Illuminati, you may ask? Well, I'm about to tell you. 
The Illuminati is an Imperium-spanning secret society whose hidden objectives are declared to be in support of humanity and in support of the Emperor while being against the forces of chaos. The Illuminati is mainly composed of humans who have not only survived possession by a warp entity, i.e. a demon, but has also managed to do the seemingly impossible task of casting out the demon from their own bodies by their sheer force of will. The experience of sharing a mind with a demon has completely changed their outlook on the universe and given them a unique understanding of chaos and warp entities in general. In the process of freeing themselves from demonic possession, they have also mastered the chaos within themselves, which is the root of all human corruption by the chaos gods anyway. They basically take that little nick in your armor and your weaknesses and they exploit it and that's how chaos comes about. So apparently, they are so unique in being able to exist in the warp as comfortably as in real space without any special protections or psychic wards, and with no ill effects whatsoever, since they are now immune to the effects of chaos. So all you gotta do, kids, you take, you eat a demon, right? It's easy. You pass him, like you do. Just shit out your demon, and suddenly you're fine. You you can completely live in, in the real world, you can completely live in the warp, you're completely, you know, unaffected by chaos completely. So, that's interesting. Now, I eat a lot of chicken, and I end up passing that. I'm curious, am I immune to chickens now? Hmm. I should test this out. I don't live far from a farm. There are Illuminati among the most secretive elements of the Imperium, including the Ordo Malleus, which I don't know what that is. It's part of the Inquisition, though. In fact, they seem to be actively trying to recruit Inquisitors who may be sympathetic to their plans, and or are judged to be suitable candidates for illumination, quote-unquote. Illumination is achieved by candidates who are willingly, uh, perhaps unwillingly, subjected to demonic possession, and who subsequently prove able to cast the demon out. So, I don't know what happens if you can't cast the demon out. I wonder if this is kind of like uh, the old Duncan the Witch Underwater thing back in the uh, witch trials. Like, oh, if she floats then she's a witch if she drowns then i guess she was a normal person so in this case it's like oh um if they couldn't cast the demon out well i guess they're evil we got to kill them but if they did cast the demon out which you know the demon we made them eat or put in them uh maybe it's a demonic suppository there really is no there's no knowing here uh so this is going to bring us to the point of the sensei now, suddenly we're getting all Asian here. I don't know why, but just hear me out. The purpose of the Illuminati is to discover, groom, hide, and protect the so-called sensei. Now, what are the sensei, you ask? These are individuals that are the biological sons of the emperor of mankind, who were conceived before the establishment of the Imperium, and are said to be both immortal as well as sterile. So that's kind of a bum rap. Now, it's interesting to me because the, you know, the Primarchs are his children and the Sensei are his children. I'm curious if the, if the Primarchs are sterile or not. And, I mean, they're practically immortal. Gilliman is still walking around, so who knows. But, um, here's the kicker, though. The Emperor of Mankind was pretty, um, uh, what's the word? Vir- 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 virulent? 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 
I don't know. Anyway, he came a lot, is basically what we're saying. Uh, <laughs> these sensei, right, they could possibly number in the thousands. And they're normally unaware of their heritage. Also, they're psychic blanks who possess no presence in the warp and cannot be affected by psychic powers. So, the Illuminati is... They're, they're trying to round up all these sensei and groom them and protect them and hide them and all that. So... The sensei are not part of the Illuminati necessarily. The Illuminati is kind of like the custodes of the sensei. Please don't get them confused. Anyway, the sensei are invisible even to the emperor himself in his current ascended state. The sons of the emperor that the Illuminati inform of their true nature become the sensei knights of the long watch. So, um, that's interesting. The plan of the Illuminati is to collect as many of the sensei as they can and then sacrifice them at the proper time, possibly as late as the exact moment the Emperor's power finally wanes and his physical body undergoes its final death, which could be, I don't know, a millennia from now. So that's cool. It's like, hey guys, hey, all you sensei, you're really cool. I like you. You're, you know, immortal and sterile and blank and you got no psychic powers. Hey, listen, let's let's just round you all up in a nice, you know, farm, like a sensei farm. And I don't know, let's wait out the apocalypse and maybe we'll, maybe we'll kill you. The, um, the sacrifice of the sensei is supposed to give birth to, what do you think? The star child. Exactly. That's what everyone would think. I don't know what the hell the star child is. Give birth to the star child. This is an entity that would be the Emperor Reborn, as it fuses the essence of the Sensei, which are the carriers of the Emperor's physical DNA, with the remnants of the Emperor's soul, which was cast into the warp during the climactic events of the Horus Heresy. Now, was it though? I mean, I, this, this seems like it's new news to me, because I did not the, know the Emperor's soul was cast into the warp. That's kind of weird. I mean, uh... I don't know, maybe this is me just being a noob, but this is news to me. It is postulated that the Emperor's soul in the warp acts as a shining path visible to certain individuals of psychic ability. Accordingly, it is a benign element in the otherwise hostile warp environment, as it consists of the essence of the Emperor's humanity, compassion, and moral nobility. The force of the Emperor's rebirth as the quote-unquote Newman, the Shining Path Incarnate, would then destroy the Chaos Gods and restore the warp to its original, psychically unpolluted and chaos-free state. So the whole point behind this whole Illuminati nonsense appears to be trying to stop the advance of chaos in the universe, and that the idea is that the Emperor's power... um is slowly waning as the Emperor's life is gradually fall failing. The continuing maintenance of the Golden Throne itself is now considered beyond the capabilities of the Adeptus Mechanicus in the late 41st millennium, and there are even questions about the integrity of the Emperor's mind. So, they are kicking into high gear, this Illuminati, and they are trying to round up all the Sensei, because they want to finally sacrifice all the Sensei when the Emperor finally dies, or is about to die. And that will cause some sort of psychic explosion in the warp and wipe out all Chaos Gods, supposedly. I don't know. It's kind of weird. But guess what? There's actually 
an Eldar connection to all this. That's right. Gilliman's not the only one that's got his hand in the Eldar cookie jar. The Illuminati are secretly allied with and assisted in their plan by elements of the higher echelons of the craft world Eldar's hierarchy, specifically certain Farseers and Harlequins. Thanks to this allegiance and their immunity to chaos, at least some of the Illuminati are among the very few beings in the universe allowed to enter, guess where? The fabled Black Library, where we discussed a couple weeks ago. The Black Library is the Eldar's ancient repository for their knowledge of chaos, which resides deep inside the webway. Through this access, the Illuminati gained even greater understanding. They have learned of the fall of the Eldar, and the true origins of the Emperor as the epitome of mankind's ancient shamans. The Eldar, whose own power and numbers are greatly diminished, and who have their own reasons for fearing the continuing encroachment of chaos, are trying to assert some sort of behind-the-scenes political power over the human-ruled galaxy by positioning themselves as counselors and allies of the Illuminati. It is uncertain how forthright the Eldar are on this issue, and whether or not they are manipulating the Illuminati to their own ends. Indeed, it is not entirely clear whether the sons of the Emperor, quote-unquote, actually exist, and whether they are just a plot of the Eldar, or possibly chaos, according to one plotline. It's just a ploy to mislead the Illuminati and therefore the Imperium. It is also hinted that the Eldar may have other reasons for involving themselves with the Illuminati, besides enhancing mere political influence over the Imperium. Still... There have been instances of persons claiming to be the immortal sons of the Emperor and claiming to be Sensei. Who knows? I mean, the Emperor is the biggest daddy of them all, and he's got a billion babies. So everyone's saying, oh yeah, the Emperor's my baby daddy, basically. So, obviously, such people are immediately persecuted by the Imperium as mutant heretics, Hence the need on the part of the Illuminati to protect such possible candidates of Sensei status and to actively disrupt the Inquisition in its actions against such heretics. So they work behind the scenes behind the Inquisition. The Inquisition would be like, what, what, no. Kind of like Game of Thrones when, spoiler alert, Robert Baratheon had a bunch of, uh, you know, love children. And then, you know, the Lannisters went around and killed them all. Yeah, that's basically what the Inquisition is like. Ah, oh, shit. All right, well, the Emperor knocked up a bunch of other people. Okay, let's let's go kill all these Sensei dudes. Now, finally, there is something called the Ordo Hydra. According to the Illuminati's plans, the timing of the birth of the Star Child, which is the rebirth of the Emperor, is of the greatest importance. In order to have the best chance of success and achieve maximum effect, it must happen at the end of a quote-unquote long watch. An example would be when all or at least the majority of the Sons of the Emperor have been found and groomed for their purpose. Therefore, the Emperor himself must remain ignorant of the existence of the Illuminati and their plans. Otherwise, he may be, he may be tempted to end his constant terrible torment on the Golden Throne by ceding his mission to the Sensei thus relinquishing he, his vigilance over the Imperium prematurely with catastrophic results. On the other hand, the latest the attempted rebirth must happen is as the Emperor finally expires, as even a solar second later may be too late. So, 
This uncertain and possibly very long-term timeline, coupled with the fanatical hate of chaos on the part of some of the Illuminati, has apparently given rise to an extremist offshoot of the organization, a secret society within the secret society. This is the so-called Ordo Hydra. The Ordo Hydra believes its own plans against chaos, a radical scheme of using controlled warp, quote-unquote, mind viruses, can succeed a lot quicker than the timeline of the Long Watch. At most, they think this will take standard centuries, whereas the Watch could take a Terran millennia. The mainstream Illuminati are trying to stop the Ordo Hydra, as the implications of its plans could be detrimental and or catastrophic to humanity and the Imperium, whether their plans are successful or not. So you've got one group, one secret group, that are trying to wrangle up all the babies of the Emperor and kill them at one time, which is, I don't know, that's kind of hard to get behind, but whatever. And they want to do that in order to rebirth the Emperor. Then you've got the extremist group in there called the Ordo Hydra, which basically wants to mind virus bomb the warp. I I don't even know what that means. So that's kind of, uh, it's kind of weird. So, Fun little trivia for you. The Illuminati were first introduced in the late 1980s, the Realm of Chaos Slaves to Darkness source book. It is really uncertain whether they, where they stand in the present chrono- chronology, the timeline of Warhammer 40k universe now. If they're even still an official part at all is kind of uncertain. As the Illumini- as Lumin- as the Illuminati plot thread was linked to the Starchild slash Sensei storyline, the publisher Games Workshop may have abandoned the Illuminati storyline as storyline as the Starchild Sensei plot was written off as yet another manipulation of the Chaos God Zinch, which was in the third edition rulebook. So a lot of people think that this was just a throwaway thing. But it's interesting because more recent literature seems to imply that it is still a viable canon plotline, such as seen in Xenology, which is a book I actually have. And uh, there's a whole storyline in there. Not only do you get to see like the anatomy of you know Eldar and orcs and things like that, and Hrud, but there's also like an Inquisition-type storyline in the background of that, too. So, now, Xenology was... Um, don't know that was like around 2010 i'm gonna say could be 2012 something like that's been a little while and you we all know that they've really changed the background of warhammer 40k for a while but most of the above lore that we've talked about is contained in the inquisition war trilogy omnibus and that was published in 2009 so whether or not they still support this as a viable plot thread but the story gets more interesting because there was a recent novella called Auric Gods by Nick Keim, and the Illuminati are under the name of the Cult of Illumination, and they reappeared in the last couple years in the book Auric Gods. Now, this reemerged cult was destroyed by a small group of Adeptus Custodes, but you do know that this has been brought up again, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, what I think, my personal opinion, would be that, you know, duplicity is such an awesome thing, whether it's in writing, literature, whatever. So, 
what they should do is say, oh, the Cult of Illumination, that was it. You know, they're all destroyed, whatever. The Sensei are all gone. And then, or they could write it off as they've done in the past. Uh, in the third edition rulebook, they said it was a Zinch plot. So just to like, haha, I gotcha, right? Like, I got your nose. And then they surprise everybody. What they should do is blow all this off in the lore and go, oh yeah, this is a stupid storyline. We completely abandoned it. Then, when they're ready for a 40k end times, which, you know, they keep putting the clock closer and closer to that point, that is when they pop out with a, oh shit, here they are, ha, ah, here's the Illuminati and the Sensei, and they kill and they rebirth the Emperor and blah, blah, blah. And uh, that would be pretty interesting. How do I feel about this, which is arguably one of the weirdest things one of the weirdest storylines in 40k and one that may not even be applicable anymore. Well, I think it's weird that they use the word Illuminati. I just find that weird. That's a very loaded term nowadays. Maybe that wasn't a loaded term back in the 80s, although Steve Jackson did have a card game about conspiracy theories like in the, I don't know, 90s, 80s, and that involved a card that was said the Illuminati. So, I... I don't know how recent this Illuminati term is, honestly. But I find it odd that they use that term. And really, these Illuminati guys are the good guys. Like, you know, we always... Illuminati nowadays has a really negative connotation, but these guys are trying to save all the children of the Emperor. And, I mean, sure, they're going to kill them, but ideally, that's... I mean, ultimately, that's no better or worse than what everyone else in this background of this game is doing. So whether it's the Tau forcing you to join their club or else they kill you, or it's the Imp- the Imperium killing you if you're not part of their club, or <laughs> or the Gene Stealer cult forcing their way into your club, uh, you know, everybody's doing some backhanded shit. So, you know, I say bygones be bygones. You know, let the Illuminati round up all the Sensei and let them kill them at the end times of 40K. I don't see why not. I don't see what the big deal is. Uh, you know, they're they're sacrificing, what is it, 10,000 psychers a day or something stupid to keep the Emperor alive? So, I mean, they say that his children, his illegitimate bastard children, could have been numbering in the thousands. Well, okay. I mean, that's thousands. Well, that's probably, it's going to be less than 10,000, I would assume. And uh, that's like less than what you kill in a day for psychers just to keep the golden throne running. So, um, I hope you enjoyed this. This is a really weird trip. Um, the minute that I saw Illuminati in 40k, I'm like, what the hell is this? And, uh, you know, 40k has a lot of weird background um, that just... I don't know. I mean, you know, it started out supposedly as such a social commentary and about a satire and all that 40k was. And then over the years, they keep keep taking themselves more and more self-serious and they, you know, try to cut out all the goofy stuff. The squats got squatted. The space lizards, the, the, uh, the slan got cut out. All of that stuff. So, um... I do definitely see, especially if it original, if it recently came out in a novella called Arc Gods, and it's recently been in an Inquisition omnibus a couple years ago, and it was in Xenology a couple years ago, I do feel like maybe they're keeping this in their back pocket. 
And if they are, I mean, I'm I'm really not hating the storyline. I think it's very interesting. Um, I wish there was a little more to it about their motivations, but what do you do? You know, we just got to wait for 40k end time. So let's see how long that takes.